The following program is intended for mature audiences. Do not dwell in the past. Do not dream of the future. Concentrate the mind on the present moment. Buddha said that. I'm T.C. Petty III, and this is Deep Design with T.C. Petty III. Entering the Hedonic Treadmill Magic Circle Delight Flow Bandwagon. What I just said a second ago was a string of words. These words are generally referred to as buzzwords. The hedonic treadmill, the magic circle, delight, flow. What are they? What do they mean? How do they function? Who gives a shit? All these questions and more questions. The pee parable. It's a simple idea. Remember the last time you really had to pee. Actually, you probably have to pee right now and don't even realize it. Streams of water trickling, flowing, tinkling... Wouldn't it be nice to just pee everywhere right now? Just let go. (sighs) Think about it. No, really think about how much you have to pee. Our muscles are constantly working to stem that voluminous tide of ammonia every second of every day. But when our brain gets a signal that our bladder is nearing full expansion, we rush to the toilet or kiddie pool and expel our horrible, disgusting human waste. And it feels so good. And then, after a few seconds, we normalize. It makes you wonder what life would be like if every moment felt as euphoric as those few seconds of squatting. Squat, squat, squat. What a gorgeous word. When you unleash a torrent of urine upon the squealing porcelain throne, mark a tree with your lemony scent, that's happiness. Peeing is so temporary, though, such an illusory rush of chemicals to the brain. It doesn't offer a meditative zen effect, no oneness. It's there and then flushed away, and you have to find other sources for chasing that impossible-to-achieve state that is complete contentment. Games offer a unique opportunity for players to feel like they are peeing themselves for hours by achieving various levels of flow. (laughs) Yes, flow. Players can ride these waves of euphoria for an entire gaming session. But before I can explain flow, we have to learn a few more awesome buzzwords. The magic circle. You've probably heard this one before, but if you haven't, The magic circle is two things. For an individual, it's a willing suspension of disbelief. For a group sitting around a table, it's a collective acceptance of rules governing play. The magic circle is the imaginary pack we all sign when we agree to play a game. It's the game space, the game world, and it represents our personal and fictional involvement in that world. And it is separate from the real world around us. The key to the magic circle is willingness and engagement. Jump inside and we're playing a game. The magic circle is important because it's a very simplistic way to explain why we enjoy games at all. They keep us enthralled and entertained and for some reason we crave this collective farce delight delight is like jolts of happiness micro interactions that make an experience more fun brief surges of surprise or deliciousness or cute puppies that make an experience approachable and intriguing intrigue and hype it's a major force that pulls you into the magic circle but is not necessarily what engages you Delight is the gateway, part of the ritual or possibly gimmick to invoke the magic circle. It's not the game. Delight needs to function, and that function needs to survive and translate into multiple plays without becoming a nuisance. When you pee, you don't enter the magic circle. The act of peeing is the release valve that maintains the flow of existence. If agreeing to not pee in the sink is the magic circle, and the state of not really having to pee is the hedonic treadmill, then delight is the act of peeing itself. The hedonic treadmill. The hedonic treadmill is the concept that people need to constantly work towards improvement to stay at the same level of happiness. This is why you see happy couples get fat and then become unhappy couples. 
It's very difficult to accept that happiness is fleeting. So while, yes, sometimes you'll have a big moment of euphoria, and other times you'll feel like lying face down in a drainage ditch by the Rudder's convenience store off of 83 South, people have a psychological reflex to normalize these extreme shifts in emotions. This is the hedonic treadmill, our static level of cheer that as humans we need to mindlessly maintain. But by achieving a good balance of hard work and relaxation, you can actually improve your normalization level, increasing your average daily happiness. By enjoying a terrible balance of excesses and embracing the evil that is too much sedentary life, you can lower your average happiness level. Some people like to call it a thermostat because of this, but I like treadmill better, so deal with it. And finally... Flow. Flow is the concept of total engagement that is the ideal form of interaction within a game system. An idyllic setting where players are so attuned and enthralled to the mode of play that they are a part of that they lose a sense of time and space outside of their focus. They're so in the zone that they don't even realize they have to pee. Some have described the feeling as trance-like, other as a state of nirvanic attunement, a pleasure that is so intense and satisfying that its effect rivals even the most mighty of orgasms. Flow differs from the concept of the magic circle in that a player must first accept and understand the rules of the game before they can achieve a flow state. The brain is not a multitasker. This is why playing a board game one time will usually not result in higher levels of engagement or a flow state. Once a player has entered the magic circle, only then do they have the opportunity to experience flow, and flow keeps a player inside the magic circle. Why did they name this concept after a synonym for menstruation? I don't know, but if you were giggling through this entire segment, you're probably not a robot. How can I use these buzzwords to my advantage when creating a board game? Well, you should probably make simple games then. Accessibility brings more players into the mix, and fewer rules gets them into the action quicker, right? Uh, uh, no. Well, flow theory would disagree with that shit. Too much simplicity in a task can induce apathy, boredom, or relaxation. Complexity can induce flow, arousal, or possibly anxiety if the skill level of the player is very low. Overlearning. Yes, this is actually the clinical word for it. Overlearning is the idea of stretching a person's skill level beyond their current capacity. So, if you subscribe to the concept of flow or want to engage your players, erring on the side of complexity is actually a good thing. The data presented to them should always be of sufficient complexity to maintain interest in competition, but not so complex as to discourage them. That was from Wikipedia. Overlearning is the key to not only engaging players on a higher level, but actually improving a person's quality of life. But not all games are intense, ridiculous penis and brain measuring contests. Some games are created to be mantras or repetitive, compelling communal activities with a goal. The goal of the game is still fun and engagement, but it's meant to be cyclical, to reduce stress by getting you back into the normal cycle of average pleasure on the hedonic treadmill. So there's a schism here. Do you want to design for challenge and personal improvement or design for relaxation and normalization? Know what your game is trying to achieve. Luckily, if you do err on the side of complexity, you may be able to achieve both for different levels of players. But here are some tips for each side of the psychological coin. If you're designing to engage flow, a flow state is achieved when a player of a high skill level is presented with a high level challenge. So get players to a high skill level within the game system and grow the challenge with them. Give players a clear goal and make them feel as though they have a potential to succeed. Provide a mixture of short-term and long-term goals so that players can constantly assess their relative progress. Determine the skill level of your game and provide complexity just above a player's skill level and expand their options as the game continues to never let that tension slip. Engage players and never let go. 
This can be achieved by avoiding downtime, making individual turns play faster, and creating tension between players or the system. One sterling example of engaging players is Pandemic Legacy. Not only do decisions within the current game matter, but negative or positive decisions made by the players will cause permanent physical damage to the game components. You'll rip up cards, write, and put stickers on the board, which makes the consequences of losing super intense. Plus, events are a source of constant delight. If you're designing for normalization and the hedonic treadmill, players need to also become highly skilled at the game, but the challenge level presented does not need to be at a consistently high level. Lower to mid levels of challenge provide relaxation and a feeling of control that aid with normalization. Create a fair puzzle with high levels of randomization and setup. The game may have a twist, but innovation or theme is not necessarily the focus. The focus is providing something familiar with a solid, non-gimmicky foundation. And repeat is necessary. These games are based on a simple turn structure that repeats and repeats almost in a meditative fashion. Solitaire is a perfect, though simplistic, example of a game made to keep the internal treadmill moving without the player even realizing it. Josh Levin of Slate.com writes about the digital version of Solitaire included on all Windows operating systems. According to a 1994 Washington Post article, Microsoft executives wanted Windows Solitaire to soothe people intimidated by the operating system. Thanks, Josh. Functionally, Solitaire was a game, and it taught people to use a mouse. From a flow theory perspective, though, it sucked. Splendor, however, is a great example of a game system that employs this technique at a more palatable level. It provides the most basic, familiar motivators of an engine-building game, while offering a variety of tactical and strategic options without a dramatic sense of tension. It's this type of game that is enjoyable to play, but never in your face or overwhelming. For many people, there's no reason to play games other than fun, and fun is pleasure. So what most people mean to state is that games should represent hedonistic principles. Minimize pain and suffering, maximize pleasure. If we actually put this into practice, however, my favorite game would be a really interesting role selection mechanic and possibly a Rudiger Dorn-esque action selection tower with victory points being awarded through blowjobs. We haven't necessarily reached the heathenistic anarchic society needed to mix sexual acts and deep strategy games yet, so we must get more creative in our ways to keep the gaming audience engaged. Delight attracts and surprises new players, but it's not long-lasting. Flow keeps players engaged and learning and challenged. The hedonic treadmill keeps players consistently playing even after that magic is gone. These concepts work in tandem to create the final 10% of actual game design and development that takes so endlessly long to dial in. Armed with these psychological concepts, games can be employed to improve the quality of players' lives. This isn't an abstract concept. This is fucking science. You have the power to change lives for the better or worse with games. You can improve a person's overall happiness by challenging them. And you can be the catalyst that normalizes their emotions even in the face of major adversity. You can make people pee themselves. You are a hero. Keep designing PC-Bitting. Keep designing PC-Bitting.